0: Um <laughs> let me try one more time. <laughs> <Just> start, <laughs> it's our pre wrap
1: up episode wrapping up. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna say prior to the time. wrap up.
2: welcome back to the Such Nerds Podcast. I'm your host tonight, Peter, calling from Long Island, along with my illustrious co-hosts.
0: Jason from Connecticut.
2: And Dan from Los Angeles. And this is our penultimate episode of season three, closing out the last four chapters of Second Foundation by Isaac Asimov. Before we get too far down the road, I think we have some housekeeping items that need to be taken care of, Jason. Why don't you go ahead and bang those out for us as our podcast made.
0: Yes, sir, Mr. Host, sir. We probably have not done the best job of reminding our listeners throughout the season, but uh, you can always reach us at www.suchnerds.com. We welcome your fan interactions, comments, questions, and job applications for future openings on the Such Nerds podcast, should one of the co-hosts that are currently active Meet their untimely demise.
1: It's going to be that time of the year when when untimely demises tend to keep timely happening. So never too early to get that resume in. You never know what's going to happen in the finale.
2: Jason, why don't you go ahead and uh, I think we got some some of that backlog that we were looking at a couple of weeks ago. I think it finally came.
0: Yes, actually, it looks like the log jam did open up a little bit and we seem to have quite a handful of fan interactions or listener interactions. I would say to start things off, we have a, uh, let's start on a positive note. We do have a, uh, an appreciative fan who's written in and say, dear such nerds, I'm really enjoying the podcast. Well, thank you very much. Especially the new virtual dictionary feature. I'm lucky enough to have my own personal dictionary but I'm lacking a thesaurus. So I was wondering, do you know any synonyms for sardonic? Yours in space, synonymous Bosch. Uh, Maybe Dan, you could uh, could field a response to this one. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm sure I could. There's a lot of words that would work as synonyms for sardonic. Acerbic, mordant is one, satirical. It's kind of satirical, but also in a condescending type of way. Mocking even sometimes, which, I've never done or never never heard of doing. Yeah, never used that word before. Especially in, in, in the company.
2: The action behind it.
1: No. But uh but yes, all those words are synonyms for sardonic. And there's quite a few sardonics this week. And uh, I see that Isamov doesn't actually use any of these other words, just strictly sardonic. So I don't know if he got paid bonus words or something. <laughs> like it's paid by 1950s. The number of times against like Nickel
0: a word. But sardonic yeah. was like that was 12 cents.
1: So, yeah, synonymous Bosch, if you're interested in, in synonyms, you know, you can come to us for that as well. Uh, so we appreciate your note, and uh, we're glad to provide all of your uh, English language adjunct uh, resources that 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 are needed. So I will say that there are not very good antonyms for sardonic, because it's not really a very easy word to have an antonym for. The most relevant antonym they're giving me is calm, which doesn't sound like an antonym mm. at all. Mild, okay. nice and kind which are all words but they don't i don't really none of them really strike me as the opposite of sardonic mm. sardonic seems like
2: condescendingly bemused right yeah and maybe like heartfelt
1: like yeah, yeah maybe or... like yes genuine genuine yeah, yeah. So as i'm as, as we're proving you don't even need Tithosaurus. you can just contact us and we'll have better antonyms than they have anyway
0: Okay. Well, thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate your insights there. And thank you for supporting our fan or listener. I think we, uh, we get a a check on the board for such nerds for that one, for sure. And you know, this, this, uh, this listener, I think that, uh, they sound quite sincere and I'm sure that there was no underlying irony in their request for a thesaurical reference for the word sardonic. Peter, you should get Get the wheels spinning, you know, warm up the motor because, uh, I'm going to hand this one off to you to answer. So this is from hypnotized dot, dot, dot. It sounds familiar. I think they may have written into us before. The uh, mail reads, dear such nerds, Peter, are you going to publish your hagiography? If you already have, where can I get a copy? X's and O's your biggest fanatic, um, I mean, fan. The idealized biography. It's spelled H-A-G-I-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y.
2: All right, now now it's clear to me. So my fourth edition, which is the newest and only edition, will be out. I'm thinking, um, Dan, when are you going to have that wrapped up? Uh, fourth quarter.
1: I'm going to have to get the hose again, aren't I? <laughs> You got to be careful. It's a drought out here in Los Angeles. You don't want to run afoul of the rules. Even for punishing your ghost ghost author, undercompensated ghost author, I would put it additionally.
0: Yeah. Well, to be fair, they didn't ask when you're going to publish your auto hagiography. They asked when you're going to publish your hagiography. So, I mean, we can allow Dan to actually put his name on the hagiography, so that he gets credit for writing it. I mean, whether he wants to use his real name or not, that's up to him, but he doesn't have to write it as Peter.
2: It's already on there. It's it's like part of the subtitle, like my life with the great.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: and I bet a more important mine. life than mine by Dan <laughs> Los Angeles. He always had
2: the most important <laughs> things to say. Some less important. Living body. in the shadow of, of Peter from Long Island. <laughs>
1: Peter dot, dot, dot from Long Island, a hagiography <laughs> written by shadow a month, a some guy. So, yeah, we'll see. I'll see if I can get that chopped out. Um, but this week's summary did take me, uh, you know, many weeks, many weeks to write. So now that I'm finished with it, maybe I'll have some more time to devote to the hagiography beat. Yeah, well, it's pretty
2: hard when you have like four different endings to wrap it up in 10 sentences. So.
0: Well, you know what, Dan, We'll we'll finish 15 minutes early so you can write Peter's entire hagiography. Okay, so speaking of
2: summaries, do you have more mail in that bag, Jason, or do we, uh, do we want to move on to Dan?
0: I think it's about time to hand it over to Dan for the summary.
1: Sure, yes. I'll summarize all of the endings of the second Foundation book. We begin this section amid the Battle of Khoristan, where an intricately timed maneuver seals victory for the Foundation over the tentative Calganian fleet. Homer Munn is then sent to negotiate a surrender on behalf of Lord Stetton. Dr. Drell returns to Terminus to meet with Anther, Homer, and the others to debate the second Foundation location. Encephalopathy reveals Homer is mind-controlled and he is subdued, while Anther proposes Calgan as the second Foundation location. Drell then reveals his own encephalopathic work in development of a mental static device to prevent mind control. After revealing Tranter as the second Foundation location, Durrell uses his new device to expose Anther as a second Foundationer, extracting further details in Anther's weakened state. Durell ponders the fate of the 52nd Foundationers while Arcady makes her way home. After a few weeks of revisiting, Durell confirms via Encephalogram that Arc- Arcady is not mind-controlled to his great relief. The book ends with the first speaker, Prem Palver, outlining that it was actually a second Foundation plan all along, with 50 martyrs ensuring that the Foundationers defeated both the Calganians and the Second Foundation to keep the Selden Plan intact. Well, that was very concise. A lot to unpack.
2: Um, first of all, who's, who's Perim Palver again, guys? Can you guys remind
1: our audience? He's the farmer that uh, Arkady runs into, literally, at the uh, Calganian train station. Yeah, it makes that, that whole that little thing uh, very contrived now, doesn't it? Yeah, a lot of, after I read it, I was like, well, I I have to think about this now, and I have to think about this now, and I have to think about this now, because there's all these things that have happened, and now you know where everybody sits. You kind of have to reevaluate what they were doing and how they were doing it, which I did not have time to do, nor brain power at this point. Right, so
2: basically, the Second Foundation kind of enters the picture. They've been running the show the whole time. Like, definitive evidence of their interference goes back as early as Foundation and Empire when Arcady's grandmother Aces our guy Ebling Miss we know definitively that you know they admit to interference there but it was probably going on you know the whole time like when the um, warlords were fighting over kind of the scraps of what was left of the original empire and you had like the last great emperor do we remember his name from the second book guys
1: Cleon the second Cleon yeah Cleon
2: we had Pope Cleon and we had the showboaty uh, general that was going to mm-hmm. take Bell over Rios. everything. Bill Rios, right? You know, they, he could have been working behind the scenes during that whole time. What do we think about this, as far as like a plot development standpoint?
1: Yeah, I, I was saying. I mean, you know, it, there's a lot to be reevaluated, but I, a couple things popped in my head along those lines. You talk about the demise of Ebling Miss, and they, you know, speak up and say, "Oh, we—that was when we were engaged in that taking place on on Tranter." You know, who knows where they are? I mean, obviously. That took place in the library. My recollection of Trantor was that it was, you know, the, basically the main city and not a whole lot else. So, you know, I don't know if they have some remote outpost or if they're underground or somewhere else, you know, where the Second Foundation HQ is. They actually but, tell you, it's, it, they're they're residing in the old
2: research center of Harry Seldon. Like, they basically didn't go anywhere, is the impression that I got. And that, that's the only pristine location left on Trantor. Right,
1: hasn't been stripped for metal or whatever yeah.
0: <laughs> for sweet, sweet tin. If you remember when we visited Trantor for the first time with Beta and Toran, they navigated this thing, and there were these like weird farmers who were, for some reason, farming on the metal-covered planet. They were carting in some stuff from Neo Trantor, right, and the the on the ships that were coming to collect metal to bring back to. Neotrain. Yeah, or, they were sh-
2: they were shipping in livestock to ship out tin. Yeah. basically it like was
0: the. It gist, sounded strange but, at the right, time, time. Right. Yeah,
1: clearly we're right.
0: Yeah, it made no sense. And then About also it. the the other thing was like the disparity between the wreckage across the planet and the the immaculately preserved Selden Library, right? where nothing was harmed and everything was intact and the research was all in place and Ebling Miss was facilitated to comb through all of the Selden archives to be able to identify the actual location, apparently. So it seems like in the in the ramblings of the first speaker he also points out that Ebling did in fact find the actual correct location of the second foundation in his you know, in his search. But they made sure that he didn't tell anybody through Beta who they the Second Foundation controlled, even though the Mule was not controlling her. So that was their their angle.
1: So you, you think they were like in a different room, like down the hall, or like you know, how big is that library?
0: I think they were the farmers, right? That they were smoking cigars with, right?
1: They were. They the yeah. were they bros yeah. with the elder beards. Yeah, yeah the dude, exactly. The dude with the elder beard, yeah. Did they ever give that guy a name?
0: Lee Center.
1: Lee Center <laughs> sounds like a second foundation name. Yeah, foundationer, second foundationer.
0: He was, yeah. The, the Lee Center was the guy who they first met when they landed on Trent, or way back in the, the the good part of book two. Peter, you remember that part, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: right. You think he? So he was basically controlling them with his proximity. Like yeah, I think were.
0: he. Yeah, yeah, and like. The mule wouldn't notice, right, because Beta was the one yeah. that he hadn't controlled. So he wouldn't recognize that, you know, Second Foundation Subtle came in and sanded the corner a little, you know. Do
1: so you think that was why she ended up killing the mule? Because they told, they they put the seed in her head that that, that was what, or she came up to that on her own. No, she didn't kill the mule. She killed Ebling Miss. Remember? Oh, right. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah
2: yeah I think that's absolutely, absolutely what happened, yeah, yeah, they like managed to like fry her nerves enough that she started carrying a loaded gun around all the time, or a blaster filled with nucleics.
0: the way they go in and they kind of do stuff, they go in and they adjust their brain, and then that's what they also did to Arcadia, right, right. right. But like, she didn't have a fully
2: birth, developed personality, right? Right.
0: Before she even like developed, but the you can only tell apparently you can only tell if they go in and they reverse it, if they go in and they take it out again, that's when you have this plateauing on the electroencephalogram. So
2: yeah, it's only when you've re- you yeah removed a part of their personality. It seems
0: they say when can an individual be placed under our control without showing it where there is no previous emotional bias to remove. In other words, when the individual is a newborn infant with a blank slate of mind.
2: The real question is, who is the genius who thought it would be easy to manipulate children? That's what I want to know. That's like mind-blowing information. And my church is definitely going to start using some of this.
1: It's like the old saying goes, taking, like taking candy from a middle-aged person. I believe that is the expression, isn't it? Yeah, like taking candy from an elder, as they say. There you go. Finding candy in your elder beard.
0: <laughs> like like elderly, like thirty nine years old. Nearly. <laughs> are you only thirty nine?
2: You look like crap. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm.
1: Not. So that forty first year really does yeah, it to you. Yeah, it does. Peter, are you going? Up from the skin and down to the skin repeatedly. It's very distracting. <laughs> it's part of the seduction. Somebody get, get, somebody get over and look at Peter's thermostat because it's clearly not working, whatever it is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just like to say that everything that happened in these last chapters, as soon as I read it, it was like, oh yeah. Like I kept remembering the mentions that caused me suspicion earlier in the book and the only thing that really kind of threw me was until the very last chapter i thought arcady our lady arcady was a second foundation or herself like a conscious member of the second foundation
1: i mean she was a sleeper agent basically right well it's like right. she when she's with lady calia and she's like oh, i know where she i know it's she's the second foundation and she knows where the second foundation is. And she has all these sort of, you know, sudden realizations as a 14 year old, you figure something is awry, whether she's highly uh, coherent and, and highly in tune with things. But, you know, you sort of associate those things with second foundationers in terms of mental acuity. So,
0: yeah, it was like the latent presence of second foundationism was like, felt like it was part of her persona.
2: And it made sense, like, right? That, like, Beta would have picked up on who the mule actually was, even though everyone else was around her that's, like, being manipulated into not, you know, seeing the mule for who he actually was. And then for there to be, like, a genetic disposition to that with
1: Arcady, right? I still can't get over the fact that Arcadia is uh, less childish than Arcadia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that what's funny is also you think back that when... Uh, Torrin and Beta first meet in the in the section of the book, and she's going to his family house on the, the mole planet or whatever, and they're all... In the cave. Yeah, the cave underground. And the, you know, Fran Solo and and the, and the people over there, they're like, oh, this foundationer's coming in. She's so, you know, erudite, and she's so sophisticated. She's a foundationer. Super sophisticated. Yeah. It's kind of like, reflecting on what you know now, it's like her granddaughter basically ends up being a... Uh, you know, ends up sort of this, this plot piece, the entire end of the book, you know, because of the place where she's from. I don't know if I, it's sort of like, you know, you're thinking back all these ways about different foreshadowing type things. That was one thing that popped in my head too. It's like, Oh, maybe you should have known when tort, when she, they said she was so sophisticated up front. Little did you know exactly how it was. I was
2: wondering when we were doing the big reveals in the book, I was like, did they kill our Katie's mom? Cause didn't she dry die on tranter?
1: Yeah. Right. That's the other thing like hmm i wonder if there was some murder involved no i mean it, it that's kind of i didn't have time to really think it all the way through but because i read when I read through it i was like well wait there's literally so many so many rabbit holes you can go down it's almost like you could stop restart the entire series and read through it and be like hmm yeah so um wh- how do we feel about the second
2: foundation guys are they just monsters or what
1: no i mean they, their main goal is to make sure the selden plan happens so you know the to turn another phrase it's it's like you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs you know you can't they're inevitably to do have this kind of long-range focus you're going to have to do certain things that you know in the moment in the microcosm seem a little bit on you know manipulative or whatever but um yeah they have one stated goal and it's not so much about each individual person it's about the greaterness of the society so like they said about sacrificing the 50 of their own something they would have to do just to make sure that, that you don't lose everybody. So, I mean, I, I can understand the, the duty bound nature of them is to still think they're positive characters.
2: It just seems like they'd be so prone to like corruption,
1: right? You
2: have all these kind of like powerful emotional manipulation techniques like you need somebody whose like intentions are a little less than pure to come in and just impose a new kind of tyranny. Into things, and they're still trying to like institute a kind of like a a two class social system, aren't they? Because those were all like little snippets and vignettes we got of actual Second Foundation happenings, right? That wasn't just speculation from our paranoid con- uh, co-conspirators.
0: When I got to the end, when I when I realized that Prime Palver was the first speaker, again, it was like, oh, yeah, like there was this quote about the humble farmers on Trantor, it was like the start of the second part of the book, right? It made me immediately suspicious of their true nature. But it it feels like, I think you're right, Peter, there's, it's hard to imagine that, and Peter, and Dan, you've mentioned this previously, 400 years is a pretty long time to maintain strict discipline of some kind of greater good sentiment across a large group of people without the introduction of some kind of mild corruption, just kind of sending everything off the rails or at least threatening the continuity of that kind of purity or that idealistic uh, state of that group. And of course, you know, as not being an Obermensch, I can't appreciate maybe there's less vulnerability to the temptations of typical humans might uh, succumb to. Maybe, Peter, you can weigh in on the corruptibility of Obermensch. Is it is it something that's not even possible in that well, uh, subspecies of... Human being.
2: So I, I have a newly formed theory. But to answer your first question, being an Ubermensch, you are not bound by the same laws as a typical man, and therefore corruption is not really even a possibility, since you're always reaching for the highest good of yourself, which also benefits the highest good of humanity. You know, God can't commit sin. Basically, it's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing. Interesting. Right? A king, a king cannot be held accountable to laws because he is above the law. <laughs> Yeah, be nice. I'll let you know. We'll see what the courts decide. (laughs) (laughs) Going back to the corruption thing, now that I'm thinking about it, right, you have this organization that's supremely proficient at manipulating someone's emotions and their emotional motivation. It would just be so easy to take somebody who's trying to be, you're trying to bring up through those ranks and just manipulate their emotions to do what you need them to do. Right. So you have like an unruly child who's like, I just want to do whatever I want. And then you second foundation them and then you can pull out all of their selfish motivations and then make them essentially like a mindless, almost automaton of what they were, what they would be normally by pulling the strings of, you know, what they found emotionally fulfilling, and therefore what they would actually take action against. Right. I have this theory that we are emotional f- beings first, and then we layer our, our intellect on top of that. That's part of the reason they talk about when you have meditations or, or strong feelings, is that you're making a gap between your emotional reaction and your like your intellectual response uh, for things. They they talk a lot about that when you're trying to rehabilitate you know, people with anger issues or being highly sensitive or overly sensitive, you know, you make that gap between what you feel and when you react. If you're a second foundationer, it's like you have all the tools you need to, to force adherence to your policy, right? You're just constantly corrupting the youth to make them do what you want them
1: to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're somewhat in some sense a puppeteer, but you're also and, and, the puppet. <laughs> well, no, I mean, in, in terms of like, isn't that kind of what Selden was too? his goal is to try to make sure that the fall of humanity didn't last 30,000 years it only lasted 1000. And, you know, the second foundationers are kind of his minions in a way, just making sure that things take over the way they should so that they can fulfill the end of the, the gap to where you get to back to where you want to be. You know, yeah. It's there's not a lot of free will associated with it, but that was the point because otherwise, with free will, you got thirty thousand years of darkness, and he's trying to co-opt that, you know, for the greater good of the entirety of the civilization. But it probably means throughout the thousand years, you're going to have to make some decisions and put some things together that that cause any one particular time, person, or circumstance to turn out not necessarily a positive way, but way, one that kind of keeps things going the right way overall Mm -hmm. that's kind of you know what they're signing up for It's hard to do yeah it's kind of a
2: kind of a bleak outlook if you really kind of remove all of the free will stuff like presumably there's like lots of people within the galaxy that have free will but there's like these kind of like
0: yeah but it's not about free will it's about like everybody has free will except for those Mm -hmm. that have been shaved you know have their intellect shaved by or their emotions shaved by the second foundationers And they say that they target individuals to try to favor the probabilities of the bigger groups, right? The the psychohistory is about the bigger groups, probabilistic estimates of the natural human behavior of large groups. So it's free will at the individual levels there, except for the people that get tweaked, right? Right. But It's for the greater good. Right. But (laughs) is there a chance that Harry Seldon is just a complete egomaniac, and he actually doesn't care at all about the future of humanity. He just wants his legacy of having manifested this plan and shaped the future of humanity to be how he's remembered. Isn't that I mean, possible? It does, it does seem like kind of
2: nefarious, right? Like he somehow constructed this whole thing. Then again, if it wasn't going to work, right? Like, let's say... The fall of the Empire wasn't inevitable, right? Or maybe there would have been other... It, it really does kind of seem like Terminus was the seed that was the beginning of the rebuilding of society, right? And if he hadn't interfered, the, these things wouldn't have happened. There could have been you know, other worlds that were well-prepared or better prepared than Terminus, right? Like the the likelihood that the specialization that existed in the galaxy at the start of our series was so robust, was so highly specialized that like no other world was like a quote unquote seed world that like, like civilization could have been born out of again. I don't know. It just doesn't seem that likely, but you know here we are in our in our story Tur-
0: sorry yeah go ahead what's your question i was going to say how about this question do we know if anybody is happy or unhappy in their life in this in this story has like personal contentment or happiness or self-fulfillment ever been discussed like in great depth we at know all? that people
2: we know that people have successfully procreated, and therefore that means happiness.
1: Happiness before they procreated? Ha- happiness after they procreated? <laughs> no, I mean, ultimately, they don't touch on it at all. You, yeah, you take that point, well, look, if you're miserable, then you wouldn't bring people into the world. But I was being sarcastic. That was like
2: a uh, very cynical view of what happiness is in the eyes of a government that wants you to consume and procreate. <laughs> now. Yeah. Well,
1: work. Exactly, economy doesn't well, need, doesn't work without uh, perpetual growth. Needs more people. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a it's a good question. I mean, it's like anything else. You you question all the assumptions. You know, you like, okay, well, was, you know, since Seldon's this unequivocally benevolent character initially because he's solving all these problems, the rubber hits the road. What is he actually doing day by day? You know, and how do those actions look on their own, taken out of the context of well, he's doing it because it's a good cause there's a lot of good causes. You know, you talk about the crusades and stuff like that. Everyone had a great idea. Everyone's doing it for the right reasons, but what exactly are you doing? You know, what all manner of atrocities have been created throughout, have been caused throughout history by people doing it, you know, in the name of God or in the name of some sort of the other greater good. Yeah. Yeah. Quote unquote, greater good. That's part of like why,
2: you know, we're, you paint the the mule as like this insane villain, right? Well, basically he, did the same thing that the second foundation is doing. It's just not, I guess the, the, he did it a little bit too fast for everybody. And he was the, you know, the weakest part of his plan was the fact that he was the linchpin, right? He, he couldn't perpetuate his empire because he didn't have a secret ruling class behind him, like manipulating well, what,
1: everyone. what the takeaway at the end was, was that the second foundation allowed foundation to beat the Calganians so that they sort of and leave themselves around so that the first foundation had could depend upon well look even if things aren't going the way we want the second foundation will still step in and save us so they can attack with confidence whereas the Calganians had the opposite situation and then also make it so that the foundation thinks that they've defeated the second foundation so they can kind of return to focusing on strictly the you know, the machinations to make the empire come back again, basically.
2: The hard sciences, right? Yeah, that, that was part of their whole plan was basically like, we're going to go back undercover because these cephalograms and cephalograms. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and say it, Jason. And,
0: like, isn't it? I, I don't like, I'm no expert on the pronunciation. but is it electro-encephalogram? electroencephalogram. Yeah,
1: electroencephalogram.
0: It is.
2: Yeah. Yeah, basically, they're going to make the echocardiogram go away. Um, because it's not going it's to like be that, relevant anymore. like that,
1: instead of a heart rate, electrically, it's measuring your brain waves electrically. Right. Exactly. I have
0: a, so like I
2: said, people don't
0: have
1: hearts here.
2: in the future.
0: Well, and that's exactly where I'm getting at with the happiness question. And it's like, you know, what is the, what, what is the end, right? The end is the reestablishment of the empire. But what makes But what makes an empire a worthy end, right? Is it because people are happier when they're under the firm suppression or repression of their rights and freedoms by a tyrannical empire? Like what you know what I'm saying? Like what is the what is the good that's at the other end of the Selden plan? And is it really good or is it just some administrative cleanliness of the running of the human race, because the second foundationers sound like they're basically like monks, right? They're monks who deny their own actual personal fulfillment and their actors to the people around them in this esoteric objective of keeping the Selden plan on the rails. So like 400 years later, I'm born, I'm a second foundationer and it's like, Oh yeah. My life purpose is to keep some 400 year old plan from Harry Seldon from like going astray so that, you know, people are still fighting wars and killing each other. People are still, you know, doing all kinds of weird stuff. Like the human race is not getting better. Like what's the benefit? Like what's the objective? I I'm, I'm I'm not trying to like derail and and take us into a whole, you know, deep philosophical thing, but I'm just trying to like you know, is this just a an interesting story or is there really some message or moral with this whole trilogy? Well, I don't know that there's a, a
2: necessarily a moral of the trilogy. I think the idea is that order is better than disorder and the empire minimize the amount of human suffering that there is right that's kind of the idea behind it um you could also see it as cynically as the empire is just a machine to eat up humanity (laughs) gotta get the machine like the empire
1: in star wars you know right not a i'm sure they are inefficiently because if you screw things up they give you the neck choke and then you're out and they bring the next guy up like i'm sure it's efficient like they say about you know mussolini made the trains run on time like that's great but it goes back to what you're looking for. <clears throat> I think I take more of it like the point you're bringing up. Like anarchy does not suit anybody. You know, having uh, the freedom to do whatever you want or have everybody else do whatever they want to you, it's not a, a great long-term plan for self-actualization. You end up right. with sort of, you know, uh, the might of the sword type situations. I think that it's more about civilization than it is so much about empire. It's just functioning civilization throughout the galaxy as opposed to just, like, complete internecine civil war. Barbarism. Yeah. Exactly. Barbarism, feudalism, et cetera. That's what the goal was. Um, you know, yeah, you can make quibbles with whether that's... You know, obviously in the inter- intermediary, the thousand years, you can understand, like... They talked about that guy with the with the prime radiant. Oh, this! Look at the prime radiant. This is what I spent my life working on. This little section we did this one little thing and it prevented catastrophe, and that was it. You know, it, it is sort of a monkey's the possibility
2: type of, of catastrophe. Right? Yeah, it's not, not even it really reduced, it's the like,
1: po- reduced the possibility from whatever forty-five to eighty-five percent or whatever it was. Like it's the acediaism c- c- of that type of group, you know, is admirable, but at the same time, who knows what people like that are capable of <laughs> if they can well, submit their entire Life arc to such a cause with no personal advantage, you know.
2: Huh. You know, they can, they're master emotional
1: manipulators,
2: That's exactly. Right. They're psychers, their own logic. emotions,
0: they're spies, they're sub subterfuginators, or they're whatever farmers. you want. What do you call a, a subterfuger, Peter? The, the subterranean so.
1: supercalifugalistic. <laughs>
0: there you go, <laughs>
2: But, yeah, I, I think the point is to minimize human suffering. That's my, that's yeah, my generous I, I
1: think view. Back, the same thing. You know, it's like, Harry Seldon's not trying to, like, make this automaton army. He's just trying to make it so that you can go to get a sandwich without getting robbed, you know. Right. Getting at. Minimize the number of 7-Eleven burglaries. Yeah. He yeah. makes sure you, if you're going to go to across the gap parsecs to get tin, he wants to make sure you don't get held up in the process of doing it. <laughs>
2: right. By some... Mostly naked man. Yeah,
1: if you're looking for <laughs> for some snuff, uh, you need that sweet vegan the, tobacco. The, the right. Or uh, you know, line. if you're a if you're a trash dis- nuclear disintegrator repairman, you can get to the site and repair the nuclear disintegration machine without getting your truck robbed while you're inside doing the work. But those hexagons aren't going to disintegrate themselves, guys. Come on, not, not in any you know non biodegradable time frame. Anyway,
0: all right. So, yeah. I, have, want, I have a you, you pop want to go to 7 Eleven Centauri,
2: you know, and get your vegan tobacco. <laughs> no problem.
0: A pop quiz Who thinks that our favorite mayor in Burr was a second foundationer?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. I think he was just an incompetent dunce.
0: That's Isn't that the ruse, though? That, uh, I mean, like, palver was like this like you know other than him disarming not letting go of arcady when she bumped into him he basically is this you know bumbling roly-poly kind of farmer dude right
1: yeah but but he was negotiating international trade farmer trade agreements, so it's not like he was like completely useless I would yeah. vote no on Inber, but then you know you could play that game with everybody else. Like, which one of these guys is a second foundationer? Second Only foundationer. Only the ones that tried to be competent
0: were clearly first. Late and foundation.
1: diverse foundationer or not, Unum Ud- Bar second foundationer or not. You know,
0: I don't know if he was a legacy. Maybe maybe he wasn't. But I I thought like that outward appearance of incompetence was too blatant. Mm-hmm. For you him to, to like remain in power and not have some other subtle, you know, below the surface influence on. He's him.
1: He's a third third generation, yeah. neither ruthless nor competent, you right. know, person. Administratively, yeah, efficient. he wouldn't
0: he wouldn't be
2: make for the best second foundationer, I would think.
1: More of a just an incompetent
2: punts, punts, mm-hmm. putts, putts, putts,
1: yeah, dunts, putts, dunts, dunts, putts, combination of a putts and a dunts, punts, right. Punts, yeah, so I would vote no, you know. It's possible, you know. Clearly, the second foundations were master manipulators and playing things that they weren't. That you know, up is down, left is right. Who knows? Anything's possible. I I, I see Jason's logic, right? Like, uh, Lady
2: um, Kalia
1: Kalia, Kalia,
2: yeah, it's kind of a you know, like that was her
1: like MO, right? It was like she's like a kind
2: of like a buffoon.
1: Bimbo. But she calmed the guy down. She had the ability to affect is change his yeah, emotional effect. She's got the magics, right? <laughs> Magic with a K at the end. That's how you know it's legit. That's how you. That's how you spell
0: it. Magic. All right. So before we lose Peter to the sleepies, just take take your jacket off.
1: He's probably too warm now.
0: Yeah, probably too warm. You
1: No, it's freezing get in here now. Get so to... <laughs> you have a? Is that just a? Is a floor model heat vent behind you that actually does not? put out any
0: heat above your yes. above your head or
1: is that an air
2: conditioner that's, uh, that's a fan that doesn't I, we don't have central heat we have central air uh-huh. um and then i have i have baseboard heat but well that's your I
0: problem Peter. turn the air conditioner off it's it's cold yeah, out turn your air conditioner off. you need the heat
1: is probably wise in the when you're in the cold area that's right long island my
2: uh my floor is actually heated and uh it kicks off on a timer and now it's cold in here. So, you know, I don't have the, the heat temperature a gradient. Red sun.
1: The temperature gradient in Peter's room is astronomical. <laughs> <laughs> if he stands up, he's going to get icicles on his ears. Yeah,
2: all the heat uh, contrastly is down low.
1: Yeah, so he's go got on. wearing nothing. He's down to the skin on the lower half that we can't see, and he's got seven layers on top just to make sure <laughs> properly get the temperature gradient cold.
0: <laughs> so, on the subject of psychohistorians who are presumably some derivative form of psychological statistician-type professionals, are you guys familiar with the expression that statisticians sleep with their feet in the oven and their head in the freezer because the average temperature is suitable?
1: No, but it makes sense.
0: I thought that was a clever expression that I bumped into today and... uh just reminded this moment reminded me of it talking about Peter's room gradient floor Thermodynamic Thermodynamic air, air conditioner vent above his head.
1: Is <laughs> <laughs> an air conditioner vent above his head and his house is actually on fire <laughs> like, like charcoal graded floor that he has. It's perfect. He's actually living on a rotisserie with a snowblower on the roof. <laughs>
2: Basically, when you're that. an Ubermensch, your brain runs hot. Okay, you got to keep the room cold. <laughs> oh man.
0: So, yeah, I guess uh, I was satisfied with the story. To come back to Peter's original request, like, what do we think of the end? So, I was satisfied with like the engagement through the the last few chapters. Like, it kept me engaged. It wasn't quite as unexpected because of what we went through in the in book two right? I was kind of ready for a little bit of a roller coaster, but I thought it was engaging. I I guess maybe we'll get it in the prequels and in the sequels. I was hoping there was a little bit more kind of deeper, deeper message to like the whole thing. And the, you know, the idea of human nature was this whole underlying theme of the original psychohistory concept. Uh, I was just looking for a little bit more of that, you know, like Deeper meaning stuff to uh, to come out as the, we got to the end here, but I I, th- I still thought it was engaging. It was good. Honestly, I found it a little
2: anticlimactic. The whole thing, um, mm. just like it was like, oh, it was the second foundation the whole time. Like, okay, cool. Why?
1: Like, right, right. That's the, where I'm. Yeah, where's
0: the, the depth? Yeah,
1: now, mind you. For what's the next, the next. Oh, they'll talk about it in the next chapter. It's like, oh, there's no next chapter.
0: Right. And,
2: and, like, I thought the the construction of, like, the triple ending was interesting, right? He even, like, named it some, like, certain things. It was, like, and the truth. And then the
1: actual truth. And then here's the
2: real story. Or whatever. Yeah, right. it was A suitable right.
1: explanation. And then. Yeah, like, the
2: hey. suitable. Yeah. And then the true explanation. Or, like, I thought that was intriguing, right? You can see why he wrote four more books. Yeah. <laughs>
0: After this, there's right. a lot more to like. Oh, like, I
2: kind of, I got more to say. I got more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a got lot, a lot, of, still more yeah. meat on this bone. Right. There's still more to explore here, right? Not just, it's not just like this mystery story, which he seems to really want to be writing, right? Like there's these, at the end of each of these, these little, you know, sub books or these half books, it's all of a sudden it turns into like this, suspenseful mystery like a thriller almost or that's what he's trying to approximate it was tidy right mm-hmm. and i think there was part of me that was it's kind of like watching m night Shyamalan, right movies you know there's going to be a twist and so when the
1: twist happens you're not like floored yeah,
2: surprised by you're it
1: you're like no it's, it's formulaic and it's lack of directness yeah right good point mm-hmm.
2: Be like, oh, we were in the woods
1: the whole time in a national park. Or like ha ha gotcha. It's not so funny <laughs> when there's always a gotcha, you know? It's like, oh, yeah. you got me. Shamalama ding dong. Got me again. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> what a swerve from the master of swerve.
0: Right, exactly. You know?
1: Yeah, it's like it's all you're like known like for. You do it every time. It's not really surprising anymore. <clears throat> right.
2: You know, if you leave the breadcrumbs where I can
1: follow it, and then I can go back and look at myself, then that's fun, right? What I but if I, what I thought was funny was, you know, looking back at Anther's scene now that we know he's a second foundationer and he kind of shows up to kind of move the plot along when yeah. he starts creeping on a fourteen-year-old. I guess he's he stops knows. He stops seeing as much as like a pedophile. He knows that it's like there's like the, the old knowing glass you know, between him and her. You know, it's it's he's sort of. She's like their pet project a little bit. It makes that relationship look a little bit different. And even in the beginning of this chapter, he throws that fit, you know, when they first come together and he's like losing his mind, like spittles coming out of his mouth as he's screaming about like, you know, how everyone's celebrating, but why the second foundation is really the key. And then, What's what's interesting to me is then he goes on a rail and says sardonic three
0: times in like four pages, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and all kinds like, of other stuff too, right? Like it's like yeah. not just sardonic, it's like all kinds of off the rail language, right?
1: Yeah, he I highlighted this thing. I'll read it because this is hilarious. He goes. Anther struck the arm of his chair with a bald and fury-filled fist. Yes, I refer to the second There is no mention of it, and if I judge correctly, every effort to have not thought of it. Is it because the fallacious atmosphere of victory that palls over this world of idiots is so attractive that you feel you must participate? Turn somersaults, then. Hamstring your way into a wall. Pound one another's back and throw confetti out the window. Do whatever you please, only get it out of your system. And when you are quite done and you are yourselves again, return and let us discuss that problem which exists now, precisely as it did last spring when you sat here with eyes cocked over your shoulders for fear of what you knew what, not what. Do you really think that the mind masters of the Second Foundation are less to be feared because you have beat down a foolish wielder of spaceship? He paused, red-faced and panting. And Munn kind of causes him down. He's just like, all right, slow your roll, Anther.
0: And I do like that Darrell, like the voice of reason. He steps and he's like, "Guys, let's refrain from over picturesqueness of language." And I thought, why, if you want to make that point, would you use the word over picturesqueness? Exactly. Like, it's like I can barely get it out of my mouth and without taking a breath. Yes, <laughs> there's there's <laughs> certain hot, like there's a pot calling the kettle
2: black. Yeah, 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 exactly. in phrasing. <laughs> There's certain phrasings you like. You read it and you're like, I can tell that he just wrote
1: this and never actually read this out loud, yeah, right? <laughs> never yeah. Read it back to himself.
2: <laughs> no one has ever spoken like this in the yeah. history of mankind. Yeah.
1: So, Anther, after Munn talks about how he's a genius and there's no second foundation, Anther fixes his eyes sardonically and says, "You lie." Then a couple of pages go by after he's talking about nonsense. Then it's like, you know. Tur- Turber is the other guy who's saying, you know, uh, well, after we we deal with, with, um, you know, mud and knock him out. Anther turns sardonically upon him. It wasn't difficult. You see, I happen to know where the second Foundation really is, and he says it's on Calgan. And he goes in sardonically again. It's like, is he just a second as a second foundation or after the fact? Is he uh, just overly attuned to the sardonic? Maybe.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's his like that's his cover it's like if i just act sardonic and say sardonic a lot like everybody will think i'm from the first foundation they'll never guess that i'm a second foundationer except for durell who i want to guess because he knows better than to think that his old buddy's a pal Mm -hmm. in his in his on his deathbed Maybe but the I,
2: sardonic was the trail in front of us the whole time to finding right.
1: the possibly. it. But you said sardonic is a second it's, foundationer? Yeah. Like, possibly, right? Yeah. Mallow.
0: Yeah, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> and then there's another one. So I'd just like to, that, like, if I can pause, because yeah. you're at a good spot in the book, Dan, and I have this underlined. It says, it is always easy to explain the unknown by postulating a superhuman and arbitrary will. And I thought... Maybe Peterism has something to say about this concept. Well, obviously. He's definitely arbitrary. <laughs> Obvi. And I do have superhuman will. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Just wanted to I, throw I, that in there. Go yeah, ahead, Dan. That's fine. Yeah. The other thing
1: I found funny was, um, you know, after Arcady comes back, he's, talk, he's talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the five-word phrase. We finally learned what it actually is. A circle has no end. Stop, still. You can see how Palaver doesn't totally get it. I mean, at the same time, he obviously knows sort of much more that's going on. And she says, "Go back and give my father a message or whatever." Um, but you can see how he says that. I don't know if, how you would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have picked up on it when you say a circle has no end, you know, implying that the second foundation is actually right where the first foundation was because it's on the other end of the galaxy, and if at the other end of a circle is basically the same point.
2: Maybe, but I wouldn't have picked so that Tuned that, that you know.
1: Father, daughter. Daughter yes, negligent. Because we father. know Darrell is is renowned for his perceptiveness, you know, when it comes to what his daughter's doing or what's being going on around him. Right. Strange dudes showing up in her bedroom and he's, you know. Yeah. Palver shows up and is like, a circle has no end. And Darrell's like, Did you put something from a cigar, did you say something? You know, like, no <laughs> idea what's happening. <laughs> what what what? What what what? <laughs> exactly.
0: But I also liked how like at the uh, then the the second foundationers go into it too like, oh well there was the chance that he actually solved the mystery and realized that the other end of a spiral is actually the center and that quite didn't I couldn't quite lay that geometry up in my head of yeah like I, that I couldn't spiral quite, and- yeah the double spiral and the other end is actually the center and it was like mm, maybe I just don't know enough about the cosmos to understand what the real kind of rotational interaction is there that shapes the galaxy into this.
2: You need to be thinking in 4d. Yeah. 4d 4D.
1: Jason. Yeah. The other thing is we we finally found out what all those hyper relays were
0: for. Yeah. The second foundation. mind. Uh, What were they for? (laughs) For making the mind fryer. (laughs) Mind fryer.
1: Yeah. Okay making like the cloud it up. Of, of static noise gives gives anther the old the old buzzer buzzer handshake you know like yeah <laughs> <laughs> he just like loses, <laughs> loses his mind just like
2: puts on massive static but,
1: like, radio
0: cloud
2: and, like, buzzer handshake, but know, he gets like, him with
0: he, the fake like, one first right he, yeah like, he wins old... like he knows it's coming yeah. it's like
1: Give him the old false, and he like, gives him the you know, handshake, and he you know, pulls the hand off. False and sense no of there. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, ha, ha, I, I got it." And he's like, "Ah, oh, but you don't. It doesn't even work." And he right. gives him the real one, and he's just like, and then he's just
0: done. Yeah, did you get the swings from his belt? Like it, when they talked about making this thing originally, they talked about like it's got to be small enough that I can swing it from my belt. He's talking about like shooting like a like a six shooter in the Wild West and grabbing it from his hip and. And shooting it is that what it's Well He's got. He's him? got to have
1: it so that he can. Part of his ruse is that he can grab. He can have it hanging next to him, so he can basically have the fake one in his hands, and anther's right. gonna right. steal it from him. He's still able to sort of have the second one dangling there, so he can grab it soon. That was what I took away from it, but might not be accurate. Yeah. That's why he wanted it to hold by his belt because he has to have the fraudulent one in his hands and keep the second one sort of nearby, but not unobtrusively where he can grab it and activate it. Maybe he had this whole plan the whole time. Mm. I mean, how long did we actually, did he actually know he like admitted to knowing
2: it? It was, he was a second foundationer for a long time.
1: But he said he suspected
2: it, it somewhere. I can't remember. It was where. like from the very beginning, basically I feel like, was, like
0: when sent. he walked in the door, right. Or when he mm-hmm. sent him the letter before he even got there. Yeah. Cause suspicious. he
1: knew the, he knew the father, the, the guy he was working yeah. for and it didn't make any sense. Right. Because there
2: was a big falling out between his former mentor Mm -hmm. or colleague, and like you know, the guy was like spitting mad about Mm. Foundation
0: Two. Peter, I think your floor is on fire. There's like smoke coming up in front of your. (laughs) It's
1: steam from his coffee cup, but it'd be (laughs) funny if his floor actually had fire. (laughs) The other thing I thought that was funny is he when Arcadia comes back and they're spending all this time together, he takes her to the theater. And they go to the theater in the best seats with the private tridimensional viewers for yeah. each one. And it's kind of like, what's the point of a theater if you're just going to go sit in a little viewing booth that's right in right. front of you? The point of the theater is you can see the whole screen, but I guess if yeah. you you're private, but it's not viewer. a screen.
0: I think it's a, a performance. So, like, right? You mean like, like this isn't like the weirdies, right? It's not the they're not going to see the movies. They're going to see a performance. That's why she wore a dress. I guess she got a new dress for the equation. It's like the opera or So what's a private tri-dimensional viewer then? They're like super I don't viewer know. Goggles.
1: Man, so man of the opera, tell me what the tri-dimensional
0: viewer is. I don't know. I don't know what trimensional means. I guess it's the it's not a dimensional, it's trimensional.
1: Yeah, it didn't make any sense. I highlighted it because it didn't
2: make any sense. They're like the Harry Potter glasses that you can, like, rewind and fast forward through
1: time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Whatever it is, it made the highlights. Yeah. And I, just, I was wondering what the heck it was. But I'm not a man of the theater, so. Mm. Some other thespians alongside. Well, obviously, because <laughs> you're not calling it the theater. The theater. The theater. Thes- thespians such as yourself.
0: So, Peter, there was a few things... As usual, that made me think of you while I was reading this. Um, after, did you smile sardonically while you read? Them? I did every time. After they talk about you know bl- you know trying to explain things we we don't know by introducing superhuman forces or something like that, it talks about knowing little of mental science. We blame anything we don't know on Superman. Those of the second foundation in this case, based on the hint thrown us by Selden, but I guess they throw Superman under the bus when they can't figure out what the problem is. It's like Superman did it.
2: It must have been the second
0: foundation the whole time. Yeah. So the Precincts Award this year is going to be pretty tough. I don't know that it is. Did you listen to episode three? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that somebody, some, some god emperor may have uh, dabbled in the spice again.
0: <laughs> but what what I actually noticed is that on last week's episode, Dan was talking about Arcadia hiding her um, listening device from her dad when he came up to her room. And he he said the phrase, "I oh, don't look don't mind the scarecrow in the corner." And uh, there's actually a quote in this week's chapters that says, "The second foundation may have been a very necessary scarecrow." So I don't know. I feel like you know Dan's vibing. He's vibing with Asimov and.
2: What's happened is that I've emotionally manipulated you into thinking that. I said that. That's, it, that's yeah. the case.
0: So. One final topic um, that I, you know, I said the precinct Award is going to be hard. Like, I feel like I even may have a shot at it this year, because right before I read the answer that satisfied, my wife and I were having a conversation about. um, How dissatisfied she was. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for letting me, letting me speak. We were having a conversation about Baconism, which is a religion that apparently, I think it competes with Peterism. It's an atheistic religion that promotes the uh, separation of church and state and the love of bacon. Sounds pretty good. Where do I sign up? And, you know, the conversation I had with my wife was, I think that I should start my own religion. I would like to start the religion of Donutism. And I started digging deep. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, those baconists, they're just straight line thinkers. And my donut religion, we're going to represent the, you know, the the donut is a continuous circle. And it's the cycle of life and, you know, holistic view of the world. And uh, it was like 15 minutes later, I sat down to start reading chapter 21. And on the first page, you know, Arcadia's quote comes up. And she talks about the circle has no end and it was like my whole rant about donutism was like the continuity of the circle and all this other stuff so mm-hmm. i felt like you know hmm, maybe the the i was vibing i was vibing with asimov's uh, story the, the universe was speaking to you yeah <clears throat> it was
2: it was through donut rants and yeah Fourteen-year-old girl observations.
0: Pastry, pastry-focused religions. Pastry-focused circular pastry-focused religions. Yeah. Mm, oh, donuts. Yeah. <laughs> so the
2: the main difference between my religion and Baconism is that mine is believes in a deity, and that deity is me. Mm. And it's a separation of Peter and state. So I basically I can't go to jail. That's really what
1: it's about. Sounds pretty good. Where do I sign up?
2: What is the next book? Do we know what it is?
0: Before we get... Yeah, I know what it is, and I, I can share that with both of you, if you don't know it already, but... Um, it's Foundation I, or Empire? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Third Foundation, the fourth book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the So there is a quote here, or a... a it's Foundation's Edge. Foundation's Edge, yeah. Yeah. Um, But before we get into that, I did want to mention and see what you guys thought of when Durrell identifies Anthor, they're talking about, you know, they get him to talk and they get the story of the 50 or so, and they're talking about what do they do with them. What did you guys think of what they were saying about what they should do with the second Foundationers? Because they went through a list of putting them... On a planet saturated with mind static, which would basically be like lifelong torture, they talked about separating the the sexes, or better yet, sterilizing them, uh, implying that it's a genetic thing, and uh, or and they talked about just you know just killing them all as the kindest solution to the Second Foundationers. I think they ultimately gave them the death sentence, right? That was the idea. Yeah, they executed them. Got executed.
1: I just don't, you know,
2: and like kind of in hindsight, like, you know, you're like, wow, there's 50 of them. Like, okay. If you're talking about like a cabal that's trying to like control the universe, that's a very small amount of people. It's a very small number.
0: Well, that's why they said 70, they should have done 75 if they wanted like no hint of doubt, right? Because 75 is probably like 50 is not more. enough. But 75 is definitely enough people to control the galaxy through mind. 75 is like, please, please.
1: 50, (laughs) 55, that's ridiculous. (laughs) 75, oh, definitely. There's at least 17 or 18 more people at least that you need (laughs) in that org chart to really have a functional galaxy-wielding mind control organization. Conspiracy.
0: Yeah. Please. But, like, was it weird? Have you ever
1: even psychologically controlled a galaxy before? (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) Clearly not.
0: Trash
1: out of here, amateur <laughs> amateur, <hour. laughs> amateur galaxy controller person. Yeah.
0: But what is with Isimov and sterilizing people? Like he taught the mule is sterile. He wants to sterilize the castrate the foundationers. I'm, and part of it may be that you know, in that in that era of manly men, you know, there's no
1: worse sort of punishment than than uh, you know being sterilized. It was the more in 1950s. I think it was a era, common practice. When things were great and everything was getting awesomer, you know, you'd want yeah. to have a lot of kids, you know, in sort of late stage capitalist hellscape that we live in now. you would got to be like, I well, th-
2: I think it was more of an acceptable punishment. Right. Was sterilizing. And like, you know, I was surprised lobotomizing wasn't like on the table. Like, oh, yeah, this is definitely the most humane thing
1: we could be doing. Right. Scramble up their brains. Yeah. Second foundation yeah. or just make him the you know complete yeah. daughter. Yeah. But, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, Dan. Did you just say that we live in a capitalistic hellscape?
1: Late stage capitalistic hellscape, I believe, is the phrase (laughs) I use.
0: Is it that bad?
1: There's winners and losers in every economy. You know, it's just that.
0: Are are you like, are you on the on the verge of selling your kids into scientific experiments or something? (laughs) Like, how bad is? No. <laughs> Your no. capitalistic hellscape out in California there. Yeah.
1: No, well, it depends who you ask. I mean, a <laughs> lot of people around the country think California's a hellscape. It's, it's been, yeah. no. I, I was making a turn of phrase about where, what the mindset of the people in the country were in the mid, early to mid Probably 1950s, right 50s. after World War II, when right. it was like, right. we can do everything. Right. Whereas nowadays, because of where you are in the, the cycle of, of sort of history, it's not a uh, super confident moment for, for the country. Put yeah, it that way, that's fair. I mean, would you rather be
2: in the ascension of an empire or in its decline? As one other nerd themed film presented the question. In fact, I think that character looked a lot like you, too, Jason. <laughs> it was in Revenge of the Nerds, guys. Come it? on,
0: oh, it's mm-hmm. been a while. Sorry for me, anyway. Um, so I, the last thing I underlined before we, I think we covered almost everything, but. Durrell, I was disappointed because he has like these few like hiccups of of pause, where he's like, "Hmm, that was too easy," like a book villain. He felt like a book villain. I don't like it. But then he like Arcady's, you know, electroencephalogram shows like no tampering, and he's like, you know, I think at that point. It's somehow they just they tweaked him just enough to get him to like not not really mind and it was a little bit weird because he was like how did you know that uh, that I'd asked to be left out of the medal granting ceremony oh never mind your electroencephalogram is clean so let's move on and live our lives kind of thing he leaves like a little bit open there that Durrell is like somewhat doubtful of the closure that has come about of the defeat of the second foundation quote unquote
2: but before her scan comes back clean he's like no matter what like he's like if it if it doesn't come back clean we'll just we'll just go away somewhere like he just wants his daughter at right, this point right. right he's like and so he's he's spent his entire life second guessing everything and so i think it's uh he's exhausted it, Yeah, it's even if he does actually have a doubt, it may just be like muscle memory, like just kind of reflex kicking in. And then that's just him willfully overriding it to make the decision that, like, I just want to be with my daughter. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe I'll stop being such a negligent parent.
0: Maybe I'll focus on my happiness instead of worrying about which foundation is winning the the seat at the helm of the future of humanity. Right. Yeah. Right. So, like, a hint that there's something more to life than just ruling the galaxy?
1: Well, I think the other thing that I took away from it was that, like, part of what they're saying is that First Foundation can get back to, like, the day-to-day life of building a society and improving their lives rather than just being engaged in this sort of tripartite conflict between, you know, the Calganians and the Second Foundation and, like, you know, the whole point of the Second Foundation's effort is to make sure they just focus on actually themselves rather than all this external nonsense. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that that that's some to do with that too. Yeah. where it's, it becomes a million decisions that he's making in his day to day life about his life rather than sort of these sort of grand schemes. He's ignoring his daughter the whole time. Theoretically, if you're improving society, you're supposed to be spending time with your children, you know, teaching them,
0: et cetera. Enjoying leisure. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we're just talking about the very end of the book here. So it's a little bit, you know, we, we kind of expected this this roller coaster based on um, what we saw at the end of book two. was kind of set us up for expecting a little bit of herky-jerky. No, this is the cl- conclusion. No, 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 this is the conclusion. No, I know where Second Foundation is kind of vibe that we got, but we kind of get some conclusion that Second Foundation survives, First Foundation continues doing their thing, and we know that there are four more books. So I think uh, at this point, we uh we agree to <laughs> agree to move on and um recognize that we're also gonna have another chance to discuss the book in its entirety with our very first podcast follower on our season finale of season three. the whole the trilogy started with selden's plan, and it ended with selden's plan so. The circle has no end. You know, it came back to well, where we were of, in the beginning, yeah. uh, and we saw at least the first four hundred years of the thousand-year plan. Here's to, here's the six hundred more. Here's the six hundred more. I mean, Izumov is like uh, probably at this point. You know, it's like it's far along, far enough along that I don't have to cover another six hundred years, or maybe he's saving it for the '80s when he decides to write more about it. But we'll mm-hmm. we'll have to see. Uh, what comes next in Foundations Edge? And so, yeah, I'll, I'll save my my uh, I'll save my breath for further discussion there.
2: For the uh, for the finale, you got to save it up. And the for finale the, as well, exactly. The finale, not well, your penultimate. Well, we're episode, bringing in an expert.
0: We are bringing mm-hmm. an expert because if, uh, just for your information, I don't know if we'll include this in the podcast, but Joe has is well versed in Asimov uh universe, universe A. Eh? Is that the plural of universe is? Universe. Universe uh, universes. Universe universes. is not something no, more. It's pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, Latin. He, and uh, so he's read like all the Foundation series. He's read all the Robot series. We're going to have to kind of make sure he doesn't spoil too much for us. But the he's robot, got uh-huh. a Robots. lot of context in the whole Asimovian style and universe and all that good stuff, so. Should be cool. good. good like our
1: two seasons ago finale person who knew way more than we knew about it. Mean, yeah. Our yeah. brand is sort of bemused confusion. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but we wear it <laughs> well. It's good. good. I think. Yeah, you gotta have your lane.
2: As as much as you can wear something down to the skin. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we have been the Such Nerds podcast, and I've been your host for this evening. Peter with the occasional step in from my co-host Jason and Dan the pretty one and uh, we'll see you guys next time thank you so much have a good night
0: bye bye take care now